Leading Ladies, a concert in celebration of Women's History Month featuring Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, Christina Perry. At the King's Theater in Brooklyn, New York on Wednesday, March 20th. Tickets are on sale now. You don't want to miss this amazing night of music dedicated to uplifting women's voices. With Kelsey Ballerini, Megan Trainer, L. King, and Christina Perry. Odyssey's Leading Ladies presented by Olay Body. Buy your tickets now at kingstheater.com. Hello and welcome to Zero Pucks Given, brought to you by Star Market and Wise Snacks. I am Ty Anderson, joined as always by Dale Arnold. Dale, how you doing? Great. How are you? Good. Clinched. Finally. There we go. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you thought this was much in doubt for a while, uh, but it's nice to get it over with. Uh, I, I just I, I look at the the loss in St. Louis, the overtime loss in St. Louis, as one of those remarkable events. If you think about it, and we could run through the whole list, but the Bruins played against the Blues without eight of their top ten players, including goaltender Tuka Rask, because Anton Hudobin got the start. Uh, But seven regulars out of the lineup, seven top guys, your top three defensemen, by the way, Uh, your top forward, or at least your second best forward. You you look at the guys that have been missing and what they've been able to kind of do to keep this this ship afloat here, clinch the playoff spot. You're going to start to see guys trickle back into the lineup. I think you'll see Bergeron. Perhaps the Minnesota game, but in my opinion, at least the Winnipeg game next week. And then you're going to see guys kind of work their way back into the lineup after that. And then all of a sudden you go to, in my opinion, one of the deepest teams in the East, if not one of the deepest teams in the league. Yeah, it's pretty remarkable that we're, we're, we've hit the point now where this team reaches another college ranks to get what they need in terms of, of missing bodies, replacing bodies. Obviously, we circle back to Ryan Donato. I mean, this kid, he looks ready Already, and I think that's kind of impressive to me. Maybe it's expected in a way if you watch the Olympics and you see how he performed there, but to step right in, two goals in two games, four points through two games, it's got to be something else, right? See, and, and it wouldn't even matter to me if he scored goals. I mean, that's nice, but just watch his play. I, I mean, he had like six shots on goal in the first half of the game in his, in, his, in his debut. He's involved. He's in the right places. The thing that really jumps out at me, you know, as I've watched this guy, is how much stronger he's gotten since they drafted him. And, you know, I've known Teddy forever and and called the games when he was here, and I've known Ryan since he was a little kid. But when the Bruins drafted him in 2015, I think it was? 14. 14. Yeah. He was so slight. I mean, he's a kid. He's 18 years old. He's 22 now. He's he's put on some beef. He's stronger. Uh, He's able to go to the dirty areas. He goes to the front of the net. He's not a, a massive, huge guy. But I think he's playing even bigger than his size would indicate so far. Yeah, I like that you mentioned the front of the net there. I think that was what really stood out to me is that he was already good in front of the net. He wasn't getting bullied around and just kind of relying on getting a a loose stick or something on there. He can stand his ground there. He can keep plays alive. He can extend plays, especially in the power play. We saw that in the Columbus game. I think that maybe the St. Louis game after the goal was a little bit of a step back. But if you look at that game... That's a, a, that's a big defense you're going through. St. Louis defense are huge, huge bodies across the board. And also, the Bruins really had a tough time getting to the prime areas of the ice, I think, throughout that game. But overall, these two games, there's really nothing that I go, ooh, this, I'm worried about this player. No, now, not at all. Now I'm saying, how, do, how can you fit this guy in the, in the lineup come game one? Which I think I didn't expect to be saying. I really thought that he would sort of be another piece. But I'll tell you where I think he's going to fit in game one. Where's that? Second line left wing. Really? Yeah, I really do. I think he's going to be with Nash and David Krejci. I think you're going to move Heinen down. Uh, I think you're going to move DeBrusque down. Uh, I think he's that good. I, I think he's, that, he's got that kind of skill. And all of a sudden now, if you're sticking DeBrusque on your third line with whoever, you know, Gianta and whoever, you kind of like how things look down there. 
Yeah, it's pre- it's pretty crazy how this team went from having a, a question mark in terms of having a, a not a natural fit on the right side playing in your top six, to now they have too many forwards. I mean, I, I didn't think that well, let's this not would go happen. Crazy. Well, no, uh, I, 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 no, I know what you're yeah. saying. You, you never have too many of anything, as we learned last year when the Bruins lost their top six defensemen yeah. going, in, you know, <laughs> as the playoffs went along. But you've got some nice depth here. You, you're you're going to have some guys who were key contributors to this team throughout the course of the season who aren't going to be able to find their way into the lineup. Yeah, and that's the big thing. I, I wonder about a guy like Heinen. I'm curious. Two guys stick out to me here. One is Danton Heinen. The other is Brandon Carlo. Do you have room for these players come the first round? I think that I think it's a legitimate question. No, I think. it's a valid question in in both guys' cases, and the answer may be no in both guys' cases. Uh, I go back to the St. Louis game again, and I just thought Kevin Miller was playing a grown man's game. You know, on a depleted defense with their top three defensemen out of the lineup, he stepped up huge. He looks like that. There's no way you can have that guy out of your lineup. You just you you cannot afford to have him out of the lineup when he's looking like he did in that game. Yeah, and I think for me, I'm still waiting for that game. You know, I think throughout these this this whole injury nonsense, if you will, I think every player on that defense has had a game where you've said, "This is their game. This is the game where that player is taken over." With the exception of Brandon Carlo, I'm still waiting for that game where Carlo takes over, shows that, "Hey, I'm not leaving this lineup. This is my spot," and I'm just I'm still waiting for it. Maybe it's tonight. Maybe it's this weekend. I don't know. But, he's not doing anything wrong. He's yeah. just not grabbing your attention is what you're saying. Exactly. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's fine. Now, when you had Chara in the lineup without McAvoy, you saw the effect it had on the overall defense, and you saw the effect it had on Chara. Then all of a sudden, when you take Chara, McAvoy, and Krug out of your lineup, well, I'm, it's real hard for me to gauge. Now, I said, you know, Kevin Miller, I thought, played great in the St. Louis game. But it's hard for me to, to have much criticism for anybody on the defense when you're missing those three guys out of your blue line. Yeah, I, I can see that. At the same time, I think guys like Grizzlick have had these games where you go, wow, he looks ready. I, I just, I'm, I'm still waiting for that with Carlo. I don't know if it's just he doesn't have the nastiness that I think people expect out of him for his size. And, hey, maybe that's fine. Maybe he's going through a little bit of a of a of a wall right now, if you will, second-year pro. I mean, a lot of expectations last year given the way he played. Yep. I- I'm, just, I- I'm just waiting for him to seize the moment here, which, which I don't know. Maybe it's between the years and it's a confidence thing right now. I think it's when, – when you, when you look at the way everything has gone wrong for him this year, maybe it is a confidence thing. I just say that right now I look at it and I say, okay, if you're healthy, I got Chara and McAvoy as my top pairing. My middle pairing is probably Tory Krug, and I'm tempted to say Nick Holden because he's played pretty well. And then I'm talking Grizzlick and, and Kevin Miller, and maybe I put McQuaid there ahead of uh, ahead of uh, Carlo as well. So it, it's just an odd situation right now for a player who we looked at last year and said he was the reason why they didn't win the first round. You know, his absence was the reason why we didn't win in the first round. Yep. So I think it's just it's it really speaks to that whole dynamic of this team having so many good players, just a matter of being healthy. So far, I mean, and I have no reason to believe any of these injuries are long-term. The most long-term is McAvoy, and I see where he was at an event last night and said, you know, he's feeling better. I know he's going through his rehab stuff pretty religiously. No indication from anybody that there's any cause for concern, any setbacks. Uh, You know, with Chara, they call it an upper body injury. When you look on the telecast, it looked like it was his shoulder that was bothering him. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm looking at how he acts and how he is around the team, you know, posing for pictures with Bobby Orr in the, in the, uh, the press box level in Florida. 
he looks like a guy who knows he's going to be just fine, and I yeah. think he is going to be just fine. I have no idea what's wrong with Krug, but I certainly have no, no indication that it's a long-term thing. So I think those three guys are all going to be back. What I'd really like to make sure happens, and McAvoy's the question mark for me here, is can he get back in time to get a couple of regular season games under his belt? I don't want his first game back in the lineup to be in you know the heat of a Stanley Cup playoff series. I'd like him to get a couple of games, get his skates back under him, get his feet wet a little bit, and then you know go from there. Yeah, exactly. You don't want you don't want his first game to be Matt Martin barreling down on him, you know, on a four check, and then you go, oh, you're gonna be you're gonna be watching with bated right. breath the entire game. So I agree with that. I think I think with their forward grouping, you know, I I like what they have there. I mean, I'm okay. You know, speaking to your McAvoy point, I'm almost okay saying Bergeron's first game back is game one. I know it's, di- I'm it's not. difficult. Yeah, I know. I'm not. It's just, it's one of those I think things. He's gonna, I think he's going to play either Sunday in Minnesota or Tuesday in Winnipeg. I yeah. really, I do, I really believe that. And, you know, you, if you think about it, Bergeron goes back, obviously, to center of the top line with Pasternak and Marchand. And, and that line, when they were healthy, was as good a line as there was in the NHL. You've got Krejci as your second line center. He's looked good with Nash. He's looked good with DeBrusque. You could theoretically slip DeBrusque right back into that same spot, you know, when he's healthy enough. But I'm a little bit intrigued by the stuff that Ryan Donato's brought to the table. So play the game with me here. You put Donato there with Krejci and with Nash. You've got Riley Nash now as your third-line center. Riley Nash is playing with Brian Gianta and Jake DeBrusque. And then you've got to decide on your fourth line whether Danton Heinen gets the spot or if you're going to keep the fourth line together that I think has been as good a fourth line as there is in the league all season long. I mean, that's a pretty fascinating group of forwards for me. Yeah, absolutely. I think it has a mix of everything that that you, you need to be a good deep playoff team, I think. And, you know, it's funny. I talked to Cassie about this, you know, how difficult is it to manage this? And, and before I can even finish the question, it was very difficult. He goes, it's very difficult to have these discussions with all these players. Who's not playing? Who's in the lineup? You know, I... I I just, I just wonder, like, my big thing is I don't think it would be a good situation if you're switching your lineup after, from game one to game two to game three to game four at the same time. No, what you'd like to do is get a lineup and stick with it and, yeah. you know, roll it out there. But, you know, sometimes you change things based on who's effective and who isn't. Obviously, injuries change things. You know, the lineup that I just put forth here, and, and really the only theoretical here is whether DeBrusque stays on the second line or you, or you put Donato there. Uh, I, I like that group, and I'd be willing to roll that group out every night. Yeah, and it might be matchup-based, too, And which brings me to my next point here. Are you in or out on going for the number one seed? Uh, I, 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 I would like to get it, but it's got to happen organically. I'm not pushing for it. You know, Chara comes back in the lineup. I'm not playing him 35 minutes a night because he's our best defenseman and Charlie McAvoy. You know, I'm not sticking Patrice Bergeron in a position where he's got to play 26 minutes because I'm, I'm trying to grab that extra point. It's got to happen organically. You know, if, if it does, great. Uh, I don't do anything different. I don't stick guys in the lineup who I didn't want in. I'm not, I'm not moving guys around. I keep the same group. And, and you hope that you've got a, a group that's good enough that they can go out and get it done. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. It's been so hard to gain ground on the Tampa Bay Lightning. We've we've noticed that they had a six-game winning streak at one point. They swept their homestand. I don't think they gained a single point in terms of where they were in the Lightning and, and you know in regards of catching them in first place. And then I think Tuesday night was sort of the indication. Okay, this isn't going to happen. At least in my opinion, because you had you you blow the two-goal lead on Monday, you lose to the Blue Jackets, hottest team in the NHL. No big deal. You get a point. That's great. The next night, the Leafs are beating the the, the Lightning three to one. That game ends up Lightning winning four to three. You know they, they make their comeback and yep. then, and then you you lose in St. Louis. And then last night 
they had an absolute shootout in in uh, between the Islanders and the Lightning. Lightning still win, so I think that ship is almost officially sailed, uh, if you will. So so I'm okay now. I'm going to start saying okay. Now it's time to figure out what your lines are. Figure out what the roles are. Come game one, uh, like you said, organically, it'd be nice if you win those two head to heads. It changes things, I know, but but I think overall, I think you're kind of you're looking at that number two spot right now. It, it would be the Maple Leafs. I think we'd be okay there, but sure. but I, I, if you get a little bit closer here, entering the final week of the season, maybe I give it a slight push, knowing that home ice through the first at least the first three rounds. I mean that really works to your favor when you have Chara, McAvoy, and the Bergeron line. Uh, but I'm not losing any sleep over it. I think the health is the most important thing of this team. Uh, we're, we will continue this conversation after a brief message from Wise Snacks. Before the ice freezes and the ref drops the puck, make the wise choice at your local grocer's aisle this hockey season and pick up your favorite Wise Snacks products. Made with high-quality ingredients packed with delicious flavor, Wise Snacks is that clutch score for your taste buds. Let's go, hockey fans. Hop over the boards and get your feet moving. Go top shelf this season and pick up your favorite-tasting Wise Snacks products as your team continues its quest towards the cup. All right, Dale, one thing that I, I want to talk to you about, and I know this is this is something that intrigues you, the seventh player award. It seems that they have 23 <laughs> nominees for this award this year. I've got about six or seven, but, you know, your your point is valid. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, I I want to hear your six or seven. For me, I have three, and, and you know, I, I but I, I do want to know where you line up with this well, one. Well, first of all, and, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and, and people have to remember what this award is about. It's not a popularity contest. It's not an MVP contest. And, and that sometimes gets confused by fans. For instance, you can't win this twice. If you perform above and beyond all, all expectations enough to win the award, your expectations change. So I'm sorry, in my mind, you can't win this thing twice, and guys have. Uh, again, the, the criteria of the award is performing above and beyond all expectations. And, and I'll, I'm not putting these in any particular order, but for instance, I had zero expectations for Matt Grizzlick. I didn't think he was going to be on the team. Rightfully so. I thought he was going to be in Providence. I had no expectations, so everything he's done has been so above and beyond what my expectations were. I look at Grizzlick and say, holy cow, of course he's got to be a guy who is, who, who is considered a, a legitimate seventh player award winner. I look at a guy like Jake DeBrusque, who, you know, if I looked at the rookies, the rookie forwards on this team, at the start of the season, I probably had him behind both Anders Bjork and Danton Heinen. I thought both those guys were going to be ahead of him. He's ahead of both of those guys. He has far outplayed what my expectations were. He's a, a legitimate number two candidate. And again, I'm not putting them in order. I'm saying there's a, there's a second one. And if I gave you a third one off the top of my head, Anton Hudobin. You got held hostage by the backup goaltender position the last couple of years. You, you know, you bring Hudobin in, bring him back, and you're thinking, well, what are my expectations? We're going to have to play Tuka 65 games again this year? Just the opposite. This guy seized the backup goaltender role, gave you great backup goaltender play. The, the games played for, for Tuka Rask is going to be about 55 or so, which is exactly in the wheelhouse of what you wanted. Anton Hudobin has far exceeded what my expectations were. I knew he could be a backup goaltender in the NHL. He's been better than that. So those are three just off the top of my head. Yeah, for me, my number one seed in this bracket, if you will, the whole March Madness team, Riley Nash. I think that coming into this year, I thought he was good last year. He, he was good as a fourth-line wing. 
He really didn't wow me as a center, I think, and when he had to step up there and play the third line or the second line, first line, whatever the case was uh, last year for this team. This year, totally opposite. I think I think he's really found a way to find his groove, find his footing in terms of when he's been asked to be a top six fill-in. Uh, he's played on the power play as well. He's, yes. he's, he's scored some goals, so... You know, not your the job he's done in in Patrice Bergeron's absence has been remarkable. Exactly, you're at, you're being asked to replace an all world player, and and you, there's a drop off, but of it's course. not like you're falling off the cliff with exactly. this guy. Exactly, it's not like you can't you know you can't right. trust him when you need a big face off win. I mean, he does get beat up there a little bit, but but it's one of those things where I think that he's done as good of a job as somebody can when you're yep. talking about replacing a player of that caliber. Uh, I'm with you on Hudobin. I think that's a guy as well that. You know, this really was a mess for them last year and the year before that. I think when you're when you're talking about bringing in Jonas Gustafsson, you know, off the street basically, and, and having him try to be your backup, and then you see what happens. Tuka gets sick the final game of the regular season. You have to turn to him, and it was like you almost kind of went in that game going, "They're going to lose this game because you just couldn't trust that position. You couldn't trust who was who was there." And before that, I don't even remember who it was before that. It was. Uh, Oh my goodness, who was it? Like, that's the thing. That's what I mean. Like, this goaltending position has been such a revolving door. Oh, uh, Svedberg. And, and, and he right. was terrible, too. Claude couldn't trust him. So, one of those things where, where you really needed a, someone to stabilize that position. And when they brought Hudobin in last year, I thought that was going to happen. And it didn't. And he got put on waivers. And I thought, here they go again. They're going to have to go, and, go out and overspend for somebody this past offseason. No. They might have to overspend to keep him this year. Yeah, exa- which I'm like, eh, I don't know about that. I mean, McIntyre... I'm not. I'm not a big McIntyre guy. I don't think he can be an NHL backup on on a consistent enough basis to really sort of trust him for that 25 game workload. So I would. I didn't almost... think Malcolm Subban was either, and he is, and he's playing yeah. that way. Yeah. So I mean, they're they're in a weird spot, but stabilizing that position has been so key to this team. You don't have to worry about playing Tuga on back to back nights, which he can't do. I, I know it's been done before, but you look at his play the next night; it's it's substantially worse. He's not. He's just not built for that. He's not built for seventy games. He's not Henrik Lundqvist. You know, I don't think you can do that with goaltenders in today's day and age, anyways. But so I look at that, and then I look at I look at DeBrusque, to be honest as my third because yes, he is a first round pick. Yes, he was one of this organization's top prospects. But I think that if you if you read the clippings last year and you you read into the, the the panic among the fans that he was a bust already, he was this, he was that. He has been such a stabilizing factor on that second line. I think really helping Krejci know what he has out of a line mate. Which Krejci I think was annoyed by the revolving door of players that he had to his left and to his right. Probably over the last that's, few that's years. That's probably fair. And I think that having a kid that he can trust. You know where DeBrus is going to be. He he makes skill moves and gritty moves. You know he he can deflect pucks in front of the net. He can also storm down the wing and, and go top shelf on a goaltender. And we've seen him do it against some great goaltenders in the, in the NHL this year. So th- those are the three guys that I look at. A fourth, if you will, would be Tim Schaller uh, for me because this this team they lost Dominic Moore, who was sort of their go-to left-handed face-off guy. And Schaller has come in and he's done. A, he's taken on a little bit of that workload. I think which when you're talking about their PK, which has remained pretty good this year, that's an underrated element of what Schaller has brought to this team. And he has a career high in points, uh, goals and points, I believe now as well. So it's got to be one of these guys. If it's I possible, thought Heinen I'm lose was my on mind. the list till he fell. He kind of fell apart here the last month or so. I thought he was one of those legitimate guys as well. I, I, I said you've got legitimately six candidates on this team. Which is the beauty of probably why this team is where they are right now. Uh, you know, you've got the veterans playing really, really well. Back to, you know, as good as they've ever played before. But you've brought this group of, of newer players in 
who have just lifted everything up. And, and you know, you look at the way, and, and Heinen has been good this year. He's been really good, even with the, the drop-off here of late. I thought he was going to be one of them, but I think DeBrusque has passed him in that regard. Yeah, I just really hope it's not Pasternak as a three-time Three time uh, seven. Uh, look, I, I already said you can't win it twice. <laughs> there is no way you can you can win it three times. Has anyone else besides him won it th- twice? Yeah, there've been a couple. Did uh, Tim think, Thomas win it? I twice? think I think Neely won it twice. I think. Uh, okay. You know, in his comeback year, he won it. Yeah. Um. I, I, we had the list at Ness, and I was looking at it at one point. There have been a few. Yeah. I don't think anybody should ever win it twice. That's just no. my own bias. Uh, I, I I hate the idea of somebody winning it twice, with the possible exception of, you know, you've got a, a career-threatening knee injury like Neely did. You come back, and what are the expectations for that? And I could justify if that, if that was the case, but normally, and if, if a guy wins it three times, oh my goodness, then the fans have completely lost their minds. Yeah, you know, being as someone, you know, you work at Nesson, like, is it all fans, or do you guys? Is, is there a, a, a committee as well that says, "Well, we can't give it to this guy"? Oh no, no, no! It's that's totally that's why guys have won it twice. Yeah, no, they don't mess with anything. It's you know the fans vote. They don't mess with it. They, hey, uh, you know, how about this guy? We really like him. No, no. If the fans pick Pasternak a third year, he's going to win it a third year, and I'll go crazy. Yeah, because that was the thing. I, I was wondering if it was going to hit the point where they gave you a list of five or six no. players, and they were like, "You got to pick one of these guys." They do not mess with it. Yeah, which which. I mean, I get. I think I'd rather they didn't. Yeah. I mean, even if I think the fans get it wrong, even if they did vote Pasternak the award for the third year, it's still the fans' vote. That's what we said. Yeah. This is the opportunity for the fans to decide if that's what they decide. It's like the American election, you know. Whoever you whoever <laughs> you decide on is who you get. Yeah. No interference. And I'll leave the rest of it alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's I like. I thought last year that. When Pasternak won it, I was like, well, I can see it. I mean, I can see why you're taken aback by a, a, a player going from, I think it was what, 19 goals to 35 and 70 points. But, but you know, you almost expected. I thought that Dominic Moore or Brandon Carlo should have had it last year. Given... Carlo would have been my choice a year ago. Oh, yeah. I had zero expectation. I didn't think he was going to be on the team. It's like Grizzlick this year. You know, I didn't think Carlo was going to be on the team last year. So for him to, to be on a, a defense pair with Zdeno Chara for most of the year, it was clear cut to me, but the fans chose differently than I did. Is there a car? Do you still get a car with that now? You get, uh, yeah, you do get. A, it's a lease. I think it's a three-year lease. Okay. Back in the day, you used to get a car, and the uh, and the and the fan who was selected, whose name was selected, got a car. I think it's a three-year lease on one now. Ah, uh, do, do you have to pay for it, or do, they, do you think they pay for it? What, no, no. I mean, you you win a three year. Oh, lease. I was yeah. gonna say like like you're winning a responsibility. Hey, no, you no, gotta, you gotta, you gotta no, pay. no. They, <laughs> you you just don't get to keep it after the yeah, three years. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Uh, one of the things I want to talk about as well, uh, kind of coming back to the seventh player, if you will, all these options they have. Did you see the ad yesterday? Uh, the the Boston Bruins in our blood ad. Well, there's two of them. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I think I, you know the one that yeah, the Felger one that yeah. I retweeted. Um, I'll give Felger credit because uh, I assume he had to allow his his uh, stuff to be used on that, and 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 good for him for allowing it. Uh, I, I when I retweeted it out late last night and said, you know, it's the end of the of the ad says, listen to no one, and I just said, or decide who you listen to, <laughs> um, which I loved. Yeah, and and you you've got your choice. And some of uh, Felger's followers on Twitter were coming after me saying, he was just saying what everybody else was saying back at the beginning of the year. No, I wasn't. Sorry, yeah. I wasn't. When people were, criti- were critical of the team's play in the first month or so, what I said consistently on the air here is, 
I don't know what this team is yet. We haven't had a chance to see yet. You know, they weren't healthy. They didn't have a, a complete lineup. And I don't know how good they're going to be. I didn't write them off in October 1st of November, the way the ad portrays. I said, give me the team, and then we'll decide. Well, that happened about Thanksgiving or so. Absolutely. And then you saw them, and you went, oh, crap. They're really good. Now, I I guess in in one way, you stick yourself out there, and you take the chance, you know? You say, this team is done. Too many young players. They don't know what they're doing. And and that's fine. That's the hashtag hot sports take, you know, approach to it. Go ahead and do it. Well, then you got to eat it later on if, if it turns out that you're wrong. Uh, all I said in October 1st of November was, just let me see the team. Just give me a chance to see what they really are, and then we'll figure this thing out. Once you saw them, what you saw was that they were really good. Yeah, and I think the funny thing is about that is it's, it's almost as if it's a bad idea to declare a season over three weeks into it, right, when you're missing your well, best player. Well, that seems kind of silly, yeah. Well, that's the thing, and it's like, it comes back to our discussion that we've had we had a few weeks ago. We were talking about people who talk hockey in this market. You know, I was during my guest spot on on Kirk and Callahan. They they asked me, you know, you know, who talks hockey that you think is bad at it? And I said Felger because you know people and people were quick to bring up to me. Well, you know, he covered the Bruins. You know, back back in the day. It's like yeah, that's great, but I don't because, feel like he, because he got actually does it. Bounced off another beat. Oh, that's fine. He covered the team. Yeah, uh, and and he was willing to to talk about him when others in this market weren't. And I. I say that with appreciation, by the course. way. Of um, course. You know, th- there are times when I think he's right. There are other times when I think he's just flat-out wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, writing off a team in, in, at the 1st of November seems a little silly to me, but if yeah. you want to take the hot sports take route, go. And I think it's also kind of, for me, it comes back to leading the charge uh, against Tuca, if you will. The, there's there's a, a gigantic part of this fan base that thinks Tuca Rask is a bad goalie because of what they hear on sports radio, which... Again, is, is I think it's factually incorrect, and I think you're being dishonest. Well, your, and, and if listeners. you want to go back even further, and I'll go back to you know one of my former partners, Eddie Andelman, who started telling everyone who would listen to him, and he was a huge voice in this market for a long time, and he would tell everybody, you can't talk hockey on the radio. Nobody wants to hear hockey on the radio. And it sort of became ingrained in people's minds, and they started to believe the crap that he was throwing around, and so they started repeating it. And now you've got talk show hosts who are repeating it. You know, it, it is silly to say that you can't talk hockey on the radio. You have to be able to do it well. You have to know what the hell you're talking about. And obviously you will connect with a very rabid fan base if you do that. Uh, in the same way that if you declare... The Bruins will never win anything with Tuka Rask as the goaltender. And you've got a pretty significant voice in the market. That voice is going to carry some weight. And I guess until he does win a Stanley Cup championship, you're going to look like a genius. If you go back to that 2013 playoff run that Tuka Rask had and his 1.88 goals against average for the playoffs and his 940 save percentage, that's better than Tim Thomas's numbers in the year the Bruins won the Cup. Oh, but yeah. people don't want to hear that. They want to hear, hey, you're not going to win anything with him. Yeah, which which drives me nuts. I mean, we've talked about that before. I just think that people, they're so quick to, to say, you know, how terrible everything is all the time. And I think when we look at Tuca and, and you look at what he's done or, you know, his struggles, what, whatever you want to call it, I think that the workload has played a factor in it. There's no doubt in my mind that work, sure. the workload has played a factor. So, you know, if he has another bad playoff run, if they're out in the first round and he posts a nine fifteen or a nine ten, well, you know what they keep going. They they keep saying, "Yeah, you had a three nothing lead against Philly." Remember twenty two. Yeah how how long ago was that? Yeah, and yet you know they keep. Oh yeah, well remember that. 
or or the other one that they'll throw at you is, yeah, but what happened in the in the last few minutes of Game Six against Chicago? Um, some defensive breakdowns. Yeah, and and the greatest dynasty of this era uh, turning it on and, and scoring yeah. some, some 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 big goals, which they've done again and again and again. What do you think about that? By the way, Blackhawks being out of the out of the postseason happens to everybody. And and for the uh, for the cap is crap crowd out there. I would just hold up a, a postcard from the Chicago Blackhawks. It's not crap. It does matter. Uh, you've got to be able to navigate the salary cap era. It's why the Edmonton Oilers are screwed, in my opinion. Peter Shirelli and what he's done with the cap out there, they're screwed. It's why the Chicago Blackhawks tried to keep the dynasty together. I understand completely what they were doing. The fans loved these guys. I understand all the reasons. But you looked at the numbers and you said it's going to be hard to keep this group together. And if you do keep the core together, you're not going to be able to put anybody around them who's any good. It's one of the underrated things that I think Don Sweeney has done here. You look at the contracts that he's gotten Brad Marchand and David Posternock signed to. They're, they're really good contracts for the players, but they're reasonable contracts for the, for the team. And, and the Bruins have navigated the salary cap era a little more efficiently than some other teams have done. Now, in order for that to work, you've got to pick the right young players. You've got to get some young players in on entry-level contracts who can commit and contribute. And that's a huge factor, and they've done that. And I give them all the credit in the world. But they've also managed some of these contract negotiations properly as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up. I was going to say how the Blackhawks pay $21 million for Taves and Kane, 10.5 each. The Bruins pay under twenty for their top line of Marshan. For all three, yeah, Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak. Which and and again, you can you can flip those players around. You can move Pasternak down to the second line, if you will, and you're just a deeper team because of it. You know, I think that. And the Bruins, they made tough calls when they had to. They traded Boychuk uh, a little bit earlier because they knew they couldn't pay him. You know, I think I think you have to make those decisions. And listen, the Blackhawks fell in love with their core, and maybe rightfully so. But hard to blame them. Yeah, you look at that and you go, "Oh, maybe you should have traded Seabrook. Maybe you could have got three younger pieces, affordable pieces, if you will, uh, for for you know Seabrook, and you go from there." And the other thing is, Duncan Keith looks like a shadow of him, of his former self right now. It's unbelievable. Where a guy like Zdeno Chara looks like he did five, six, seven years ago, Duncan Keith looks, and I don't think this is the case, but he looks like it's over. Yeah. Which, he looks like it. Yeah, and, and I, I never thought, I mean, you could, they've done a, a masterful job of, of, they've been in this situation before, and they fought out of it, but I think they always had some cap space to their favor when they did that, and, and now that dynamic has changed, and it's going to be interesting to see what they do to work out of this. I, I think the Panarin-Fassad trade really didn't do much of anything for them. If any, I think it almost hurt them in a way when you look at Panarin and Columbus and how he's thriving there you know, versus what Saad has done. I, I think that... Yeah, this team, they've fallen in love to a fault with their with well, their dynasty. They were really looking for somebody to play with Taves, and Saad had played there before, and they thought that that chemistry would rekindle, and it really didn't to the same degree. It started out like that. First, you know, six, seven games, it started out, and you thought, okay, well, they've done the right thing, and then it regressed. And look, you, you make decisions based on the best information you have at the time. Some of them are great. I'm not trying to make this sound like Don Sweeney's made every great decision. Uh, you know, Kevin Hayes, Matt Bolesky, we can run through the mistakes he's made, and he's made yes. them. What he's been willing to do is, is cut bait. You know, buy a guy out, unload a contract, move things around. Uh, when he's made mistakes, he's, he's acknowledged them, and he's moved away from them, moved on from them, and sometimes that's even harder to do. Zero Pucks Given, presented by Star Market and Wise Snacks. Uh, one thing I want to ask. Tonight, as, as we're recording this, uh, Tyler Sagan, Dallas Stars, tonight in Boston, or tonight in Dallas, I should say. How come, 
we're in a situation here where this team traded a, a franchise center and they don't feel the ill effects of it. A 40-goal score. It's unbelievable, isn't it? And, and this is going to—let me just start this by, by making sure people understand what I'm saying. If the Dallas Stars aren't in the playoffs, it's not because of Tyler Sagan, okay? I'm not blaming Tyler Sagan for the fact that they haven't been a playoff team the last couple of years. He's a very—no, he's a great player. I was going to say very good. He's a great player, uh, gifted player. But are you going to be able to build a team around Tyler Sagan? Or do you build a team around Patrice Bergeron? When, when, you know, when the Bruins traded Sagan, what they were saying realistically— was that Tyler Sagan's going to be the third-line center on this team? Is he better than Bergeron? Is he better than Krejci? And, and I know the fans are going to say, hey, he's a 40-goal scorer. Take a look at everything. Would you say that he's a better center than those two guys? Now, Bergeron, I don't even think you can make an argument. No. If you want to make an argument that he's better than Krejci, I'll listen to it. That's fine. I understand that argument. So in a best-case scenario, he was your second-best center. Now, we've talked about this before on on this podcast. There were a number of factors involved when they traded Tyler Sagan away. I felt that the Bruins had to trade Sagan. You want to come back and bitch at me? You've got a legitimate bitch that they didn't get enough. I got no argument with you there. I felt they had to trade him. They felt they had to trade him. Where they screwed up is that they didn't get enough in return for him. Yeah, absolutely, and I think... You know, for me, we come, we're circling back to this point because I think at the time that we recorded this, the Stars were surging. They looked great. Sagan had a great game as a first-line center against Bergeron, and I was like, ooh, is this player turn, turning the corner here? And again, sort of to your point, I'm not saying that they're falling off because of Sagan. They're not. That, that team is in a free fall right now. Yeah. And you're looking, towards, you're looking at that player and saying, okay, is he enough? Is what they have right now with Ben and Sagan enough to elevate them to that next stratosphere? And we can say that... Hitchcock didn't play the younger players when he had to earlier in the season. I think that's a real thing that's hurting this team right now. But I look at that, these situations here, and I look at where the Bruins are versus where the Stars are, and I'm like, how are the Stars not better than, than what they are right now? When, the, when you have a core centered around Ben and Sagan, how are you not better than, than what you are right now? And it just it's, it's, will forever blow my mind that this trade has not blown up the way that I thought it would. I thought this would be Joe Thornton all over again, but on a grander scale because the, the Stars were set up for a long-term success plan, but you, you just haven't seen it. And it's, it's kind of remarkable to me to watch. Yeah, I don't know if it's management. I don't know if it's coaching. I don't know if it's both. I don't know if it's the, it's the players involved. Because as I said, you've got to ask yourself, is Tyler Sagan a franchise player? He's going to get paid it, like one. Well, he is. Uh, you know, now, look, I, I understand you could legitimately throw back in my face, yeah, well, look at what the Edmonton Oilers are doing. Do you think Connor McDavid's a franchise player? My answer is yes, I do. Of course. I think he's a franchise player. I don't think Tyler Sagan is. Uh, I think the Bruins' decision was Patrice Bergeron is the forward we're going to build this team around. I think they made the right call. Yeah, and I think too, you got to look at it to your point that you brought up as well. He wasn't going to be a third-line center here. You, you, I mean, you couldn't pay that guy five and a half mil or five point seven five. He had a legitimate. He had a, he had a reasonable contract. They just signed him. Remember now. Yeah, his contract was reasonable. Maybe not for a third-line center. They didn't trade him because of his contract. No. There were other reasons involved, <laughs> there's, there's uh, quite but, a bit. But, but the contract wasn't the reason that they dealt him away. I, you know, I went back and I watched the the uh, behind the B clip of, of when they're deciding they're going to trade him. Right. It's a little cringy when you go back and watch it. I mean, you understand kind of what they're saying. 
you know, you, you, you do wonder if that sort of that mindset they had then has changed now. You know, with maybe a player like Marshan, where you look at his struggles in the 2014 postseason, and you say, okay, you know, do they have those same conversations where they say, oh, you know, do we have to move? You know, he's not giving us what we need. The difference is they don't have any questions about Marshan off the ice. Yeah, they have questions about Marshan on the ice occasionally. You know, is he going to go over that line again? Is he going to get suspended again? Uh, they don't have any questions about him off the ice. None. Yeah, which I think it, that ultimately made the big difference. But I always forget, too, that when they were having those discussions at first, and I remember Shirley telling me straight up, he goes, yeah, we're, we're, we're listening to offers. And I was blown away by that. I was like, you're admitting that? Like, on the record, you're okay with that? He's like, yeah, yeah, we're, you know, we, he needs to grow up. And I was like, wow, they're really killing this kid right now. But I, I always forget that the, the plan was to trade him to re-up Horton. That was in, uh, the initial plan. Well, that was, that was part of what was going on at the time. And then uh, Horton they, goes to Columbus. They wanted to bring Nathan Horton back. They wanted him back here uh, to play on a line with Krejci. And, you know, this was all happening in a, in a similar time frame. They dealt Sagan, and then Horton ultimately told them, no, I'm leaving, and, you know, things sort of fell apart for them. And then Aginla comes, hey, I'll, I'll sign here for one year, and that kind of— it's He just, was fine. Yeah, he was great. I thought he was great. I mean, he's one of those players I would have loved to have seen for a three- or four-year run, see what we really could have done with him. Uh, it's just funny, though, when I look back on it, that you lost Horton and you lost Sagan, and you, and you really had one year of Aginla. Like, your franchise— and this comes back to Horton's injury, I know, and you know some unfortunate things you can't control. But this team should have been—they should have been a lot worse off than they are. And I think that that speaks to that that 2014 draft with when you had Bjork and Heinen and Donato. That really might be what saved this franchise. Yeah, and the guy who doesn't get credit for that is Keith Gretzky. Yeah, Keith Gretzky was the guy who was in charge of scouting at that point for the Bruins. Uh, David Pasternak was Keith Gretzky's first pick. Pretty good pick. <laughs> Uh, now, he didn't stay, but he turned things around in terms of scouting, drafting, and, and ultimately the development, obviously, was within the system. Keith Gretzky deserves a lot of the, of the credit for how they turned around that part of the, of the organization. Yeah, and I wonder what his future is, too, in Edmonton. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if Shirley gets fired, given the way that this team, that team has looked in their long-term future. Like you talked about, this team being screwed now. You know, where, where does he go? Where does he end up? I mean, well, you're going to have a heck of a time element. digging out from under that one, too. I mean, that's what, that was Sweeney's toughest job here, was digging out from the salary cap problems that Shirelli had built and some of the contracts that he had given and no trade clauses and all that stuff. Uh, it might be a bigger mess to dig out from in Edmonton. If Gretzky were to succeed Shirelli as the general manager in Edmonton, it might be a bigger task trying to dig out from under that. You've got to think that if they moved away from Shirelli, Gretzky would be the logical choice, A, because he's really good at what he does, and B, that last name carries a lot of weight in that town. Absolutely. Meanwhile, everything is sunny in Boston. I never thought I'd say that. When, when the GM comes in, Tracer Zach Ronaldo, and, and you know, Another one, that. when I said he doesn't always make good moves, that might be at the top of my list. Oh, it has to be, right? Third round, top nine I didn't pick understand for a it then. I don't understand it now. That had to have been Neely, right? Like, no, stop that. Well, no, I'm no, not you're not going like, to blame Neely when they screw something up and, and say Sweeney gets the credit when they get something right. Yeah. Don Sweeney's the general manager. Yeah. Stop with that crap that gets thrown around in this town. Well, we don't know if it's Neely. It's not Neely. 
But you don't think that, that was he, Don Sweeney's. You don't think that he said, "Hey, we no. need to get tougher. We need oh, to get fat." Uh, look, they, I'm sure they talk about we've got to get tougher. Of course, Don Sweeney's the guy who says, "Yeah, let's go get Zach Ronaldo for a third round." Pick. Uh, I well, I just I, it's, I I don't want to think anyone in the organization had a had a hand in that. So I'm well, trying they to did. Find, I'm trying to find ways to like say hey, you're trying to blame was... Sweeney and, or blame Neely instead of Sweeney. Hey, come on, I like Cam. I, I've always been a pro Cam guy. I think he's done a great job here with the with what they're doing with the building as well. Sure, it, it's gonna. I, I got nice. no issues with Cam. Obviously, no, no, of course. It's this. It, we hear that a lot in this town. Yeah. If the Bruins do something really good, it's they want to give Neely <laughs> the credit for it. Yeah. If they screw something up, they want to blame Sweeney for it. Yeah. Don Sweeney is the general manager of this team. Don Sweeney decided to fire Claude Julian, not Cam Neely. Don Sweeney decided to give Bruce Cassidy the job, not Cam Neely. Do they talk? Do they discuss? Of course they do. But ultimately, that decision is Don Sweeney's, and he's made some real good choices there. Yeah, I do wonder, like, on that point, I do wonder if there was a point where where they they had a meeting of the minds where, where Neely admitted, I'm going to take a step back here and let you run this to the way that you think the best plan is. Because I do think that, I think with Shirelli, I think Neely was well, I think Neely trusts Sweeney, too, by yeah, the way. Yeah, exactly, which I don't think he necessarily had with Shirelli towards the end there. Mm-hmm. You, you talk about the rumors of him barring him from trading certain assets, if you will. Uh, that spoke to they don't trust one another. You know, he doesn't trust him for the long-term future. So I do wonder if, if Cam has taken a step back and, and sort of looked at the big picture but trusts his guys on the day-to-day operations and the, the scouting and the moves and Isn't what have you. Isn't it pretty clear, based on the results, that the trust is well-founded? Absolutely. That's what I, I mean. I would, I would trust them too. No, I, I think I think Cam and Donnie have always had a good relationship. I think Cam trusts Donnie, trusts his plan, trusts the program that he's put together here, and is letting him run it. Yeah. Before we get out of here, uh, time for our Wise Snacks Player of the Week. Did we have this? Wow. Yeah, yes. I wish I'd, I'd prepared properly for you. Um, my Player of the Week. So, I'm going to say I'm going to say Ryan Donato. Okay, when he shows up and scores goals in his first two <laughs> NHL games, uh, you know when when you make a splash like that. Uh, I, I had a chance to talk to uh, to Teddy the night of uh, Ryan's debut. I went over to visit with Teddy for a while and congratulate him and. And we were joking because uh, a lot of the Harvard kids were in the suite with, with Teddy watching Ryan play. And Teddy says all, all of his teammates are saying he must be nervous. He's passing the puck. And they were <laughs> laughing about it. Uh, but, but he was proud, and he should be. Ryan's looked like he belongs here. Uh, so I'll pick Ryan Donato. I like it. And one of the things that they brought up on the broadcast, and, and I don't remember Ted a whole bunch. I remember him coming back the second time around. Uh, they say he has a heavy shot. Is the shot similar? Yeah, well, I, I think Ryan's got a better shot. But mm-hmm. yes, uh, Donnie has said this. I called the games when Teddy was playing here. He did have a heavy shot. Uh, I, I think Ryan is more skilled offensively than Teddy was. But uh, but Teddy could shoot the puck, and, and he did have a heavy shot. We should see if Teddy wants to come in here. That'd be a fun I don't think he likes you. No. I, they, don't, I have no idea. <laughs> they, they, I was just saying They that. never do. No, uh... I mean, I love Teddy. I, I think he. I think he's doing a great job at Harvard. Hey, he convinced his kid to stay for three seasons. Good job by him. Ah, that's a great hockey family too. Yep. The, the, uh, the uncle Danny or Ryan's uncle Danny coaches at Dexter. Yep. Uh, you know, and I, I. I know Danny. We've we've had some conversations on the phone for some stories I've done on on Ryan. Uh, great, great guy. Great hockey family. Uh, coming back to my wise snacks player of the week here on Zero Pucks Given, I'm going to go Anton Hudobin because I think that. You look at that game against the Blues there, 
the Blues were really surging towards the end of that game. That they should have had, I think, four goals in that third period. And you know, I come back to that save that Udo made with his blocker with I think one and a half seconds left from the. In the I couldn't third tell period. real time if it was blocker or head. I know. I, I yeah. prefer to think it went off his mask because it sounds better. But it I does. think he got it with the blocker. I was like, oh, right off the head. I, I said it like in my yeah. apartment. I was like, that was a head save. And then I looked back. Oh, that's a blocker. It's not a. Sounds fun. better if it was off the mask. But yeah, I, it was blocker. And it was sort of it was so fitting given the way that he's played this year and he's helped this team. I think. Steal points and steal victories, especially in November when you had idiots like me writing, hmm, maybe he is the number one goaltender for the time being. How how wrong could I have possibly been? No, but, pretty wrong. Yeah, pretty wrong, as is tradition. Uh, but I think that it's, you know, that was that was so fitting for them to clinch the playoffs on the back of a late game save by Anton Hudobin. I think just a total battler, underrated element to this team's success this year, like we've talked about, seventh player award nominee for sure. Uh, so, so I go with him just because they needed that performance. He delivers it. And uh, you're in the playoffs because of it. Now you have to figure out who is in your lineup come game one. Uh, Maple Leafs, I think that's the team they're going to play. It doesn't scare me as much as I, th- I think it, it, it should on the surface when you see they've only beat them one time in the last eight meetings. I think this team has a good matchup against them if it is indeed their first round Especially opponent. if they get everybody back. Exactly. That's the big thing. That's yep. what I was going to say. That's the big thing. So we'll continue to see that. Dale, as always, thank you for joining me. All right, pal. This is Zero Pucks Given, presented by Wise Snacks and Star Market. Bye.